Welcome back to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors. And we want to take a moment to say thank you to all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to say thank you to our great platinum sponsors, including Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Gipper, sports graphics made incredibly simple. Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. And Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. Our guest today is Melanie Red. Melanie is the founder, owner, director of Melanie Red Performance Training out of Dayton, Ohio. And she works with uh, athletes, teams, coaches, uh, businesses, uh, around uh, a system called the Functional Movement System. Melanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, we're, we're excited about this. Uh, uh, looking forward to learning something new. So yes. we always like to give our uh, guests a chance to share some of their background with our listeners. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you were born, where you grew up and went to school, and, and how you got involved with uh, Melanie Red performance training. Yeah, it's, it's very like windy road in terms of how I um, stumbled into uh, this work. And I literally pretty much stumbled into it. But um, so I was actually born in a little town called Great Barrington, Massachusetts, grew up in Sheffield, Massachusetts until I was 15 years old. And then um, my dad decided a place called Xenia, Ohio would be a great place to move the family to. And of course I was devastated as a 15 year old. I was like literally the end of my life um, at that time. And so I've been in Ohio ever since. And I live in like a suburb of the Dayton area about an hour from uh, north of Cincinnati. And um, I actually started my adult professional career in um, sales. I was in advertising sales in a really fast paced cutthroat um, commission only environment for years. And, um, but I, I, when I had my daughter who's 11 now, uh, my husband and I just decided that going back to that with a little one would not really be in like her best interest. And so I um, briefly was a stay at home mom, which is not easy at all. I thought it was gonna be really easy, but it was not easy at all. And um, so I was like, okay, this is definitely not my wheelhouse. What am I gonna do when you know she gets older and goes to school? And um, I had already you know, had like this interest and this passion for understanding the science of um, movement, right? And, and exercise science uh, and you know, what are, what are the healthy foods and what are the not healthy foods and just trying to keep me and my, my family healthy and strong, really. Um, I was a high school athlete, but I actually was not like a great high school athlete. Um, but I always say that if I had had a me back then, I would have played college ball. I totally believe that, you know, to this day. 
um, you know, back then girls just were kind of an afterthought. And unless someone was naturally talented, those, you know, girls didn't get a whole lot of offers to go, um, you know, and play at the next level. So, but I've always, I've come from like an athlete family. My dad was an athletic trainer. So he, uh, you know, was the injury guy. And um, it was kind of nice to have somebody that could like diagnose and treat my injuries from the sports that I played, uh, you know, in-house. And um, during those years, my mom like ran an in-home daycare. So I had to find my own rides to sports and things like that. She couldn't put like, you know, 15 kids in a car. Um, and, you know, I just loved it. I, I loved it so much and I always have. And so when I'm trying to like figure out well, what am I going to do, like who is the next me, um, you know, the, the uh, fast-paced corporate sales environment was just, it wasn't sustainable for me. Um, it was super stressful and I wasn't happy, you know, doing that. And so when we made that choice, I had really a good amount of time. I had like 18 months to really just think like, what, what can I be passionate about and like, forget about money, but you know, what could I do that makes me feel like I'm making a difference. And so I ended up in the fitness space. So, you know, general fitness for adults. Um, and, and then, um, that was 10 years ago. And so about five years ago, um, that just was not lighting me up anymore. Business was really good, but I just wasn't feeling like that fire to, you know, just get up every day. And I, mm. I, I just kind of felt like everything was kind of like on autopilot. And so I started dipping my toe in the athlete training space, mostly, children of my clients. And, um, I realized that there was a massive need for high school strength and conditioning. Um, and so of course this was five years ago. I actually think the country has come along a, a long way in the last five years. And, um, so, you know, I started working with a mentor in, in the strength and conditioning space at that time, and just trying to figure out what do I want to do? Cause there's so many different ways you know, there's so many different avenues and you can niche down to like one sport or, um, you know, you can do everything. And at the time I thought maybe I'll go into like golf fitness. So that TPI, um, you know, golf certification was becoming really popular at that time. And, um, I have a good understanding of golf. I played it a little bit myself. My husband is a very avid golfer and it seemed like 90% of my clients were golfers. So it just kind of was like, maybe I'll just do that. Um, but I had a mentor that really encouraged me to think a little broader. And that's how I found um, the functional movement systems. And he was like, just get this certification first before you decide how to niche yourself. And that really opened my mind up to um, the world of movement in terms of athletes and how our movement patterns are you know, how they're grooved and how, um, especially in the high school space, um, improving those movement patterns before we load them um, to protect the bodies of, uh, you know, the high school athletes. And then that led to, um, you know, becoming a, a certified strength coach um, and a certified speed coach <laughs> and corrective exercise. So it's like, then I went down this rabbit hole of certifications, um, as I was working. And then I literally one day just stumbled into an opportunity that must have been like the universe or something, um, you know, putting me in, in a certain place at a certain time to meet a person 
um, who is to this day, like one of my best friends on the face of the earth. And um, he was the offensive coordinator for a football team at a local school. And uh, he was running their strength and conditioning program. And he heard about me and, and um, we had met and um, it, like, literally it just happened so fast. And he's like, why don't you come and, you know, take a look at the team. Why don't you come to one of our lifts? And this facility is like 15 minutes away. I didn't even know it was there all this time. And um, at the, at the school. And so I, I went in and I literally, you know, I'd been in this phase where I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, how am I going to forge a path in this, in this career? And how do I even, how do I even get there? And um, you know, all these questions swirling around. And so anyway, I, I walked in, in the middle of a lift because I had to wait for my daughter to get off the bus. And so I couldn't get there like before they started. And I heard like the clanking and the energy and like the excitement. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that was um, for some years ago. And um, I still feel the same exact way today. Uh, so that was, I started in football, quickly picked up a wrestling team who I still work with. And then um, this particular school, I run all of the uh, strength and conditioning for all sports um, at this point. So COVID was a big disruptor of that, but we're finally back and finding our groove, even with the you know restrictions and servicing um, almost all of the athletes at this point. So I'm really excited about you know the future and going back to normal. Um, and then aside from that, I consult with schools across the country. So you know, it's just, it's always great to hear these stories. And as you were you know talking about your transition from you know, your first uh, career in sales to what you're doing now, it just, it, it always makes me think of, uh, you know, my own experience. Uh, you know, my dad was a contractor and I've told this story a million times, but my brothers and I, we got to work for him growing up and uh, <laughs> he loved that. He loved everything about it. Uh, and for me, uh, I, I just hated it. And <laughs> long story short, I remember one day, I think I was in the eighth grade or ninth grade. He pulled me aside. I was probably griping on the job site. And he said, uh, Jake, you know, the secret to happiness is finding something you love to do and then convincing somebody else to pay you to do that. Yeah. And obviously you have found that, you know, with your performance yeah. training, I certainly found that in teaching and coaching. And uh, again, I, I share that with my own kids uh, when they were griping about something, but no, it's great to be able to do what you love. And oh, oh by the way, I get paid for this too. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> I could not be more thrilled about it. It's not all easy. It's, it's, it's hard, especially as, you know, being a business owner and I don't actually have a big, huge facility. So my work is in high schools, um, and whether they have a facility or not, I work with a school, um, that doesn't really have much of anything. And, uh, in terms of, you know, facility and equipment, um, and things like that. And we just get as strong and, and as fast as we can with as little as there is, you know, to work with, but, yeah, super lucky. It's, it's, I kind of laugh sometimes. I'm like, I can't believe I get to do this because it's so much fun. It's just literally like the best thing ever. And I get to bring my daughter to work with me. So, and she's becoming like a really great coach and a phenomenal athlete on top of it because she's, you know, training with high schoolers at the age of 11. So it's just, there's like literally no drawback. <laughs> no, that, that's great. When you hear your kids, use um those coaching cues 
uh, on somebody else, you know, the words yeah. that you use, that's when you know you've uh, got a breakthrough there. Yep. Melanie, you talked a little bit about uh, one of your mentors and in our mm -hmm. profession, you know, dealing with student athletes, dealing with uh, teams, um, mentoring and leadership is, is just so important. So go into that a little bit more. Who were some of your mentors, um, you know, maybe coaches or teachers growing up or people that you worked with or, or worked for? The expression I like to use is, uh, I still hear those voices in my head. Uh, yeah. Whose voice do you still hear? Well, Tim DeFrancesco, owner of TD Athletes Edge, when, when he like officially became my mentor, um, it that's kind of an interesting story too. My stories can get really long, so I'm going to try to keep this one short. But long story short, I saw him on I saw his page on Instagram, and I really connected with his content. Um, just smart, science based, uh, you know, strength and conditioning content. And I was like, wow, this guy's stuff is really good. I didn't know who he was. Um, he was the head strength coach of the LA Lakers at the time um, and actually worked with Kobe Bryant. And, and then I saw like an announcement that he was starting a mentoring program for anyone of any level that wants to get into strength and conditioning. So I, was like, well, I'm interested in it. I was like, this is going to be an insane amount of money. I'm going to have to like sell this to my husband. And, you know, like it's, it, and I was shocked um, that it was only $50 a month. And I was like, you mean 500, right? And he was like, no, it's 50. And I was like, well, I'm in. <laughs> I was like, this might, this could be total crap, but I'm in if it's $50 a month. So it was like, hands down the most, life-changing um, experience for me. And, and, you know, Tim asked me to get uncomfortable in my career and, and he just really guided me through this entire process of how to go about getting work, how to go about getting seen, how to be relevant and um, always taking the attitude that we are first of service. That always has to be first. And, you know, athletes um, are who we service first and foremost, but also uh, you know, coaches and athletic directors and parents to a degree, right? I mean, it's, we're asking these kids to do things that um, are preparing their bodies for play. And, and then in play, we're asking them to put their bodies on the line in, in a lot of situations. So there's just a lot of layers to that. And so having that service first, ego last mentality um, is something that when I'm struggling with my ego, especially I always think to me, even if he ever hears this, he's going to die. But I always think like, what would Tim say? And, but the funny thing is like, my husband's never met Tim. I've never met him in person. So we do everything. Like it would be like zoom, you know, phone calls, text message, whatever. And, um, but there's been a lot of times where I've been kind of stuck in something and, and my husband would ask me, well, what would Tim say to you? And I'm like, that's hilarious like, that you're even asking me that. Cause you know, it's like, you forget sometimes like, oh yeah, what would he say? And uh, so I, he's not like officially my mentor anymore, kind of like graduated from that program, but um, still reach out to him from time to time and really grateful for his, uh, a, you know, willingness to just answer a question, whether it's, you know, last week, my daughter hurt her Achilles and uh, jumping up, you know, for a hit in volleyball. And um, so I, you know, reached out to him about that, or it could be, I've got this athlete and I can't figure out how to get through help, uh, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and it's just really nice to have that. And then 
additionally, um, mentors, I have a very good friend who um, has a training studio in town and his name's Jason Harrison. And we've connected uh, a lot because he trains dancers in the same exact way that I train football, baseball, soccer, lacrosse players. So he works with ballet dancers um, almost exclusively and has um, done amazing work in strength and conditioning for the ballet space, which is really groundbreaking because it's not typically um, you know, a sport that would want to lift weights or, you know, with that fear of getting bulky. Um, and then, uh, the man who hired me, his name is Mo Harden, uh, it, for the CJ Eagles football team and really allowed me to come in and just take over and take care of, uh, you know, the program that he created there. Uh, and, um, He's has been like my major mentor um, just to learn football. I didn't know football. I, I mean, I know it, but I knew it. Like I can watch it and hang, you know, with people on TV, but, you know, to really understand how to help these kids, you have to understand the demands and within each position. So, you know, they let me uh, stand on the field for practices and ask questions in real time. And that was like an incredibly valuable experience my first two seasons until I really was like up to speed, um, you know, just in the football space. So yeah, lots of, lots of mentors, actually, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but. <laughs> well, it's, again, it's always great to hear these stories because it's a great reminder. We didn't get here on our own. You know, we yeah. had people that were helping us and Absolutely. sometimes, uh, you know, kicking us in the butt or patting us on the back, whatever we needed at that time. So yep. no, that's so cool to hear. Um, Melanie, most of our listeners are school-based athletic directors uh, mm -hmm. who came out of a career of teaching and coaching, you know, working with various teams. Mm -hmm. Now they're in charge of a program. Um, we also have some coaches, and I'm sure there's some strength and conditioning coaches out there. Um, so as you probably know, in, in your training, your research, your career, you know, there's a lot of cookbooks out there, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of cooks uh, that don't know what they're doing. Um, I, I coached during my coaching days, uh, football and track, which is what I did in college and I always kind of prided myself on my, uh, let's say my knowledge and application of mm -hmm. strength and endurance and flexibility and range of motion and, and all of the things, uh, that would go into a program. You and I have traded, uh, you know, a couple of, uh, comments back and forth, uh, on, uh, you know, joint stability for female athletes and things like yeah. that. But for our listeners, okay, uh, take us through, um, as long as it takes, um, what exactly is the functional movement system and why is it something that athletic directors should uh, become more aware of and begin to uh, get into their school system? Well, the functional movement system is really, it's not as big of a part of what I do. It's just kind of like an ongoing thing. So, it, as it was originally designed, the FMS um, folks, uh, now I, their names are escaping me, I apologize. But um, so the, it was a system created, it's really an assessment. FMS in and of itself is an assessment to really assess movement patterns um, and to quickly identify um, issues with movement patterns that could become problematic. 
So it's, we, I think you have to be very careful and not say um, these poor movement patterns are a predictor of injury because people with great movement patterns get injured and athletes who don't have very good movement patterns, like to the naked eye, sometimes don't get injured, right? So it's really just kind of like to get a baseline. Um, so that's kind of something that I'm just always doing is learning now that I know how to assess the movement patterns and see, you know, the movements and how the body is moving. FMS for me is more like it's something that's always in the back of my head. I do very few, um, like full movement screens on athletes anymore because I work with full teams and just don't have the time to, um, screen a whole entire team. Um, so it's kind of like on a case by case basis, uh, but you know, that was, so that was like my entry into uh, strength and conditioning. And so the, um, I have the, uh, the certified functional strength coach certifications levels one and two, which are, um, the credentials that were created by Mike Boyle strength and conditioning. And, um, so most strength coaches have heard of Mike Boyle. He's coached every level and for many, many years, really smart. Um, really smart man, really great strength coach. And so I found those um, to really be pivotal in, you know, just helping me understand how to coach an entire team. Because it's one thing when you have one client in front of you, but when you have 70 football players ranging from 14 to 18 years old, you essentially have little boys and grown men in the same weight room at the same time. And you really have to have a really good understanding of how to see everything, how to assess ongoing, and then also how to, how do we get these kids faster and stronger at the same time? Um, so yeah, the, it's, what's really most important for athletic directors is to begin to think about how can we offer high quality, um, science-based strength, speed, and I'm not going to say injury prevention, but less injuries. How can, how can we create programs that lead to strength, speed, less injuries, right? With the, the, the broader lens being um, we want more of our athletes uh, serviceable on the field. We want more of our athletes to get opportunities at the next level. We want less of our, of our athletes to become injured and so that our athletic training staffs are not overwhelmed with, you know, caring for these athletes. And, and then, um, you know, sometimes that looks like bringing someone in on staff, although we're still not doing a whole lot of that across the U S and there, there are reasons. I mean, there's some of, sometimes it's cost prohibitive, um, it, which, you know, makes sense. A budget is a budget, right? So it's like, if there's no room in it, we can't, the money is not just always going to come out of nowhere. Although, um, there are great ways to fundraise around, um, you know, around these sorts of things, um, that a lot of schools are doing a phenomenal job with. Um, and that's actually why I created, uh, what, what I'm calling the, um, performance pack is a high level consulting platform for high schools. And, um, basically it begins with an audit of your programs uh, look at wins, losses, and injury reports from the last two years, talk to coaches and athletic director and athletic trainers. 
Um, and then from that, I will identify gaps in programs. So, you know, maybe the gap is, um, seems like you guys need some help with speed. And then here's what we can do in the weight room to help enhance that. But here's what you should be doing in these speed or change of direction sessions. Um, and I just build a custom program for them based on that. But then I take that a couple steps further and I continue to provide ongoing support um, for these coaches and every single thing in their program has video content associated with it. So every exercise, drill, lift, stretch, whatever um, has, I've, I just have tons of video content associated with that, that the athletes can also get access to, which is really nice because then they can see and hear it from me, um, which cuts their coaches coaching time down in half. And then on the back end of that, there's content specifically for coaches. And that might be a 15 minute video on here's how you can coach, teach coach and correct the hang clean. Uh, and if your athletes just can't get it, then here's what you're going to do instead. Um, and here's how you teach coach and correct that. And, um, and then there's interactive, you know, there's like an interactive piece there. So we'll get on zoom calls and work through concepts. We'll deal with uh, troubleshooting and problem solving um, on a, on, you know, the grand scale and even on the individual athlete scale. So that's a pretty involved hands-on year long um, platform that I've been offering and scaling um, been offering it for about 10 months, but scaling it pretty, pretty heavily for the last like three or four months. So I was on your website and it looks, uh, you know, very, very cool. Um, we're going to do this at the end of the show, but um, if one of our coaches uh, or listeners wants to reach out to you and, and find out more about what you offer and, and more specifics about the program, how do they get in touch with you? If they want to just go to my website, it's mrperformancetraining.com. And like the first tab after the home tab is like the high school and club sports tab. And there's uh, a link on there. You can just contact me or there's also a link on there to just schedule um, a time to talk. It's a strategy session uh, that I don't charge for. Um, and that's like usually like a 30 minute zoom call. If somebody prefers phone, then, you know, we can do that as well. But yeah, typically, um, I, I start with athletic directors. Sometimes I'll start with a conversation with a coach and coach like, wow, we really need this. And like, well, I have to talk to your athletic director because coaches don't typically make those decisions, right. um, in the chain of command. So, um, the phone call always eventually ends up, um, you know, with between me and the athletic director. And then from there, it's just kind of like combing through what the current state is, what their big frustrations are, what their needs are and determining if, is this something I can help you with? And then if so, you know, here's, uh, here's what that looks like. And then there's typically a process, you know, after that of, you know how that works of getting <laughs> approval and a certain amount of bureaucracy and um, high schools. So uh, it's a long game. It's, it's very much like a partnership relationship based, um, you know, business that I have going here. So, and then along the way, I just try to help out, you know, however I can and, and as much ways as it makes sense. So. No, again, I appreciate you sharing all that. And again, we'll give you a chance to plug that mm -hmm. uh, email or the website address later on. I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. A couple of specific questions about training. Um, one would be um, 
what would you consider to be um, one of the most important factors when training uh, female athletes? And then the second question, um, what are some things that can be safely and effectively done with a middle school age mm. athlete, sixth, seventh, eighth, with regards to strength training? Yeah. Um, well, in regards to female athletes, we have to do a better job at protecting them. Um, the female high school aged athlete is especially susceptible to non-contact knee injuries. And the rates of non-contact knee injuries have not really been tracked in quite a while. I don't, I think the last year might've been like 2016, 2017 might be the most recent data I've seen, um, which I really think we should still, we should still be tracking that. Um, and because I am pretty sure it's still happening at a really high rate. Um, I have heard of teams that have three to five non-contact ACL tears every season. And that is beyond, um, that's just not acceptable at all. It always comes back to that, the fact that girls are not getting access to strength and conditioning programs. And um, the teenage female body, um, because of hormone changes, um, the ligaments get lax and um, you know they, the hips get wider. And so with that widening of the hips and the lax ligaments, it puts some special um, you know, stress on, uh, on that knee joint. And you know, on top of that, as girls you know, go through this, this process um, of puberty, they uh, are also you know, putting on some weight in most cases, typically in the form of fat. Whereas when boys go through that, they tend to gain muscle. Um, that being said, boys are also experiencing non-contact knee injuries um, at a rate that I feel is unacceptable as well. But girls especially are really being overlooked in, in this matter. And um, that's one of my big missions, uh, you know, over the next few years is um, I love working with all athletes, uh, but I still not in the school that I work in um, because we've made a lot of, you know, a lot of progress in that area, but across the country, I'm still hearing about schools where, you know, football, wrestling, basketball work out in the weight room. The rest of the teams don't, none of the girls teams do. And, you know, I think there's a big lack of understanding among coaches on how to train girls. And, um, you know, I hear a lot of um, coaches trying to sell girls on getting in the weight room by saying like, don't worry, you won't bulk up and like making it all about body image instead of talking about strength, capability, durability, um, opportunity. And we don't tell boys necessarily, um, we don't talk as much about aesthetics with boys as we do with girls and in any setting, right? Um, so that's one of the things that, you know, is really important to me that we change the way we talk to girls about why they should be in the weight room. Um, we should not make it about their body, but we should be honest with them too. And, you know, you might bulk up, you might get muscles, you might not, we don't know. It's, it, there's determining factors that are genetic there, <laughs> right? Um, so what we're looking for though, is for that athlete to become stronger and faster and more capable and empowered. And in that process, 
maybe your body will change. Maybe it won't, but the body that you get is the one that you were meant to have because it's the most capable body. And that is beautiful. Right. So I think changing that narrative is really important in order to inspire girls to get into the weight room. So make it about performance, absolutely uh, health, as opposed to, uh, as you said, the, the negative. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I have, I get the honor of coaching a lot of girls and it's fascinating to me that usually like in the first couple of weeks, when, you know, you get athletes into the weight room and maybe it's their first time, or it's just the first time that season. And, um, girls are almost always stronger than they think they are. Boys are almost always not as strong as they think they are. (laughs) And so, you know, it's such, um, it's such like a fascinating dynamic when you, you know, you've got like, I'll have football in. And then in that hour to an hour and a half, I'm telling kids like, that's too much. We're, we're not there yet. Like take a couple of 45s off of there, buddy. We're not, we're not there yet. We have a process. We're going to stick to the process and we slowly, you know, increase every week until, um, you know, we have our next testing day. There's always going to be like those kids who like see the other kid down there with a whole, you know, a bar is like full of 45s. And they think they can do that too. And we're like, whoa, time out. No, you're not doing that. Um, girls have to be convinced to add weight because um, mm-hmm. not because they're really worried about, um, you know, getting muscles, but really because they doubt their capability and they doubt their own strength. And so one of my favorite things is, you know, with girls, especially is that moment where they realize I'm really strong or I'm getting stronger. This is, this is awesome, you know? And, uh, it's, I think it's what keeps kids engaged and coming back to the weight room. I think it's part of what builds great cultures, um, you know, of leadership and accountability, uh, among teams. So. You're absolutely right about those moments. You know, they, boy and girl, they'll come into the weight room and they'll say, I don't care how much I bench press. I just want to get in shape. And, five, six weeks down the road, they're running up to you. Look how much I bench press. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yep. So. Yeah. It's a great feeling too. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we should celebrate that more. I mean, it's a big deal. It's hard. It's hard. It's like, you just did something that was really hard. And, or even I just did a, like a post uh, today, I think on Facebook about, you know, one of my favorite things to ask athletes, um, I'll usually ask it towards the last lifts of, um, you know, either preseason or in season, depending on, you know, the sport. And I'll say, Hey, so-and-so, do you remember your first day in the weight room? And they cringe and they're like, they're like, yeah, I was so bad. Yeah, you were, you were not good at these things, but look at you now. Like, can you believe that you can do this? Like, do you even sit back sometimes and like realize how far you've come? I don't even have to coach you anymore. And you know, then it's like, oh yeah, I am. I did do that. I did that, you know, and it's, it's true. They did that because it doesn't matter what I know if they don't trust me. And if they don't believe that whatever I'm saying to them, that it's true that you can do this if you just keep showing up and keep getting a little bit better every day. And, um, you know, that realization is probably like my favorite, one of my favorite weight room um, moments. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's that uh, 
how it started and how's it going, uh, you know, sort of before and after picture. Yep. Yeah. Real quickly, um, what can you share about middle school training uh, that's, you know, safe and effective mm -hmm. as they begin to uh, get exposed to the world of strength and conditioning? Yeah, I think um, high schools should be, if they have a strength and conditioning program and there's middle schools that feed into that, there should be something in place that prepares those middle schoolers for when they're going to be entering into the high school space and then will find themselves in the weight room. And really that doesn't need to be loaded movements, but they should be learning this proper squat pattern, proper lunge pattern, proper lateral movements, pushing and pulling um, pull-ups. I mean, those are great, right? Like there's, if you've got a pull-up bar, get those kids up there and get them doing it. Even if they need, you know, that assistment assistance, but, um, and then just developing strong cores, teaching kids the simple, simple drills for sprinting and acceleration. And what should that look like? Uh, you know, what are our arms doing in a sprint? What, are, what are our knees and what are, what does that push off look like? Um, but just keeping it real simple. Um, but then I also think in the middle school space, the majority of those things need to be in the form of fun and games, um, you know, otherwise we're at risk of burning these kids out on training before they even get to, you know, the high school level. And um, so keeping it fun is really important and shorter sessions, those, the middle school, 30 minutes, <laughs> I think that's about all you're gonna get um, attention span wise. And, you know, everybody always asks, when, when should my kid start lifting? My kid's nine. Should he start lifting? No. How about bike riding, climbing trees, skipping, jumping, hopping, throwing a ball, kicking a ball, <laughs> like, you know, races yeah. with your friends. Yeah. Um, setting up obstacle courses. That's what my daughter and her friends said. They still do that. They're 11 and 12, 13, 14 now, but um, they still just destroy the basement and will set up an obstacle course. And, um, you know, admittedly, a part of me is like, oh man, I hope they clean that up. But, you know, the other part is that's movement. They're jumping, landing, crawling, um, climbing over things. And, uh, you know, sometimes things get broken, but uh, <laughs> it's still, you know, it can't get too mad because it's movement. And um, I just think all movement is important at that age and it's really lacking in that age group. I'm guessing part of you wants to jump in and do that obstacle course with them. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I always joke and tell my daughter, we should like, if they have like a family um, tryout for that show, Wipeout, have you seen that show? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, we should sign up for that. I think we could really win. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be natural. Yeah. <laughs> or we'd fail miserably, you never know. <laughs> Well, Melanie, this has been great. Uh, like I said, you know, we've had a chance to get to know each other a little bit um, online. That sounds kind of uh, crazy, but uh, that's the way it is now. Way it is now. <laughs> um, before we go, uh, we always like to wrap up with what we call the athletic director's toolbox. So from your perspective as a strength and conditioning professional, what are, I'm only going to give you three, you know, what are three tools that you would want to put into either a brand new or a, a veteran athletic director's toolbox? Uh, what's gonna go in Melanie Red's toolbox? Oh, wow, that's really hard. 
Well, first, does it have to be like a thing or can it be like a process? It's, or It's whatever okay. you want okay. to put in there. So I think first is really having a system of audits and paying close attention to these win-loss injury records. Um, if you're comparing, you know, year to year, you should see trends and, and then putting things in place um, to support your coaches to try to fill the gaps in these programs. And, and I mean, that sometimes is, um, you know, we need more athletic training staff or more resources for um, strength and conditioning, or maybe we just need a better equipment supplier. I don't know. It's, it's, I think just the audit process is really important. And I know a lot of schools just don't do it. They just kind of go through the motions every year and okay, our season's starting. We're going to do the same things that we've always done. And um, which is sometimes okay, but sometimes things need to be changed and, you know, being open to that through that audit process, I think is really important. Um, you know, second, an open line of communication from, you know, from coaches to admin is also really important. I think everyone thrives when the communication is high and the, and everyone is on the same page or at least compromising, um, you know, I, and I think having a neutral party, I usually serve as that neutral party in those situations where it's like, okay, um, you know, baseball wants the weight room at this time, but so does football. Well, I'm the strength coach for both. I'm going to be running it. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'll work out, I'll negotiate that and can kind of like take that off of um, an athletic director's plate, um, which is really nice. And then, so that would be two, um, you know, th three would be thinking about spaces that can be used um, for things like sprinting and, and, you know, drills, if you don't have like a really nice facility with a lot of space, um, and setting aside part of the budget for some low cost things like bands can even like just simple, like super bands and mini bands can be really useful and, um, you know, making sure that those implements are in place is helpful for coaches, um, immensely. So, no, great, great. Uh, great, great advice. Uh, I was going down our school's checklist. I, I think we've got most of those boxes uh, checked. <laughs> Melanie Red, Melanie Red Performance Training. Thank you so much for thank being you. on the program. Thank you. I appreciate it. Had a great time. And once again, if our listeners want to reach out, and I encourage you to do so, check out that website. How can they best get a hold of you? Yep, it's www.mr as in Melanie Red performancetraining.com. And uh, if you go to the high school and club sports tab, there's some links on there to contact me. And there is a Calendly link on there to schedule a meeting. Um, and if you do that, just asks a few questions ahead of time, um, you know, like what your name and position are and, um, you know, reason for meeting. So um, always encourage people to fill that out. So I have a little bit of an idea beforehand <laughs> what we're talking about. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm pretty much everywhere except for like the social media outlets that these kids are using. Um, like Snapchat, I'm not on that. I don't even understand how that works. So, yep, those are, I'm open and the private messaging on my social media channels are always open as well. So, yeah mrperformancetraining.com. Once again, I encourage you to, uh, to check it out. 
Uh, Melanie Red, thanks again for being on. To our listeners, uh, remember the Zoom recordings of these interviews are being uploaded to the FIAAA Educational AD YouTube channel. And until next time, thanks for tuning in to the Educational AD. Thank you.